Holy carrot, what's that? What's going on? What? What? It's coming from the outside, boss. And now, my little espionage agent, talk. Come on, talk, talk, talk. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Matthew Porter. Welcome to the uh, the Intermillennium Media Project podcast. And um, and with me is Ian Porter. Ah! I think you still with me, Ian? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I am. Um, and we. Uh, what we do on the Intermillennium Media Project is... Suffer. I, well, apparently we suffer, yes. <laughs> um, I find TV shows and movies and things that I remember from when I was a kid. And I show them to my kid, Ian. And we've used the term... I, that I subject him to these things, <laughs> yeah. kind of joking in the past, and uh, and then there's this week. Yeah. Then there's this week. I, I do you want to tell them what you had us watch? Yeah, I, it should be on me to admit that. Yeah. I went back to a, a TV show from the very very early 1970s. And I remembered next to nothing about this show, except I remembered the name. I suppose I remembered the, the very general concept. And I remembered it being one of the earliest shows that I enjoyed separate from someone else saying, here, watch this. Because no one else would say, here, watch this. And uh, the show that we watched was Lidsville. Oh boy! This was a Saturday morning TV show by uh, Sid and Marty Croft, who also made H.R. Puffin stuff and the Bugaloos and a bunch of other things that I never really did watch. And then they made uh, they made Lidsville, and I remember loving this one. I don't remember why or anything other than the feeling of oh, Lidsville's on TV. This'll be fun. I'm going to watch that because <laughs> I enjoyed it so much last week. So we found Lidsville, and uh, and Ian and I watched that. We watched three episodes, and it had the amount of content I'd expect from half an episode of something, and it had the amount of, like, bright colors and sheer, what am I looking at, that I'd expect from a circle in Dante's Inferno. That was only three episodes that we watched? Yes! And yet they seemed like they never ended? Yes! Wow. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, my goodness. We've, we've found a hat. We found a hat in terms of military application power to rival John Steed's. <laughs> the other, I guess that's kind of a theme here on the podcast. The I, second one involved militarized hats. I, I, yeah. This one has a military hat. It has militarized hats. I think it falls under Geneva Convention law. Yeah. I think maybe we should back up and fill people in on what this is in case they've been lucky enough never to see this and in case they're wise enough not to seek it out and watch it. Although, yes, there will be links in the show notes if you want to join us in this misery. Lidsville involves, uh, well, actually, you can find out everything you need to know about Lidsville just by listening to the opening song, because the opening song for Lidsville at the front of every single episode is this opera, gives you the entire story about how this happens. In the middle of the summer, in the middle of a park, there began a great adventure for a boy whose name was Mark. He had come to see the magic man along with all the children and so began the day that Mark was never to forget. But to try to make it a little bit more short and summarize it a little more than that song does, Kid 
is fascinated by a magic show at a, an amusement park. He sneaks backstage, finds the magician's hat. The magician's hat grows to be enormous size for no apparent reason. The kid climbs up to look into the hat, again, for no apparent reason. And then the kid falls into the hat and is transported into another world. A world that very clearly looks like what happens if the drugs kick in in the middle of the Joanne fabrics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a world that's made of hats and racism. <laughs> that That is absolutely the two ingredients they blended together. It's hats and racism. Almost all of the, uh, the place, of course, is Lidsville. And almost all of the inhabitants of Lidsville are big, puffy, anthropomorphic hats. And each hat takes on what somebody in 1970 or so saw as the appropriate personality for this kind of hat. So the the, the party hat is always happy and chipper, and the, the, the beanie cap is just an idiot, I guess. Yeah, I guess he's sort of the little kid, the propeller beanie. He's, he can fly, that's He cool. is somewhere between the little kid and... Um, the helicopter pilot friend from Magnum P.I. In oh, terms of the fact yeah, that he's going go. around giving them information because I was flying around and I saw a thing. Not the combination I expected. <laughs> uh, the, the, there's the, the British pith helmet that I think just really wants to learn that there's an India so he can take it over. Yes. And of course there's the bad hats, which are things you might consider evil. Uh, question on that. One of them is a sack hat for an executioner yep. who talks about cutting off people's heads. No one has a head. Everyone is a head. What does he do? Yeah, that's a I, pretty I, good point. Uh, they could have done an episode of him having an existential crisis in the corner. Because uh, I'm really confused. There are no heads, but I must chop them off. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Save that for the um, Revive, Reboot, Recycle question later. We might have some ideas there, apparently. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, almost everybody in the world of Lidsville is, as I say, a hat. And the bad hats you mentioned, they included the the executioner's hood, a pirate hat, a top hat that was was a vampire for reasons that I'm not entirely sure, although it kind of fits with the Bram Stoker's Dracula movie made decades later. And a fedora that was a gangster. And these are bad hats, and they kind of work for the main bad guy, who is Hoodoo the Magician, who is Charles Nelson Riley, who also plays in the opening the magician who was at the amusement park. But in Lidsville, he's got all this green witch makeup and ridiculous clothes, and he's a a rather broad character, let's say. Yeah, I was really confused about that because I can't tell if this is there is a magician at uh, Six Flags Over Texas attempting to abduct small children, or that there is like right down to the having a a mustache and goatee. There is a duplicate version of him inside this hat, which is evil. I couldn't tell what they were going for. Is this the same guy? Is this happened to be a parallel? What are we looking at? I'm I'm asking bigger questions about the world of Lidsville, but as epi- as the second of the two episodes we looked at, this is bigger than we thought. This is part of a a a, a larger universe they set up here. And we'll get into that as we go over the episodes we looked at. Yes, but this question of the nature of Lidsville and the nature of the identity of the people in Lidsville, you know, this is your classic alternate world Gnostic allegory. This is like Tron. This is like um, The Matrix. There's a world and then there's a real world out there. Thank you again, but right now we've got to get back to the real world. Uh, you see, um, he's taking me with him. But there is no other world outside of Lidsville. Yeah, yeah that's right. where it is, I tell you. That's where my home is. And I've just got to try to find my way back there. 
Well, if you chaps insist on going, we'll give you all the help we can. Uh, supplies. Oh, and and Mark falls into Lidsville, and of course, the crux of every episode is somehow him, supposedly him, trying to get out of Lidsville, get back to the real world, return to the users, leave the grid. <laughs> I gotta say, that is supposedly the start, but over the course of every single episode, his investment in doing so declines. True. Every single episode, he is very, very, at the beginning, eager to go back home. And by the end of the episode, he is much, much more okay with just going back to the town of the Good Hats and, like, I don't know, taking a nap. Yeah, I don't know what things were like for him back in Texas, but in Lidsville, you know, he's kind of kicking it with his friends, and he's got a genie. Uh, there is a genie who was under the control of Hoodoo, the magician, and in the first premiere episode of Lidsville, Mark gets from the magician the magic ring that controls the genie. So now he's not really a pain about it, but the genie will do whatever he says within her power. His power. I don't know. The genie's kind of androgynous. Uh, the, ang- the genie's kind of androgynous. The genie is a fool in many ways and is is that type of archetypical character. I'd also like to point out this is, from the first episode, the clearest indication of like how, the sort of person Mark is. Does this entire thing to get this ring back is standing right next to the genie the genie says, that ring controls me and controls all I do. Mark's response isn't, offer the ring to the genie. Mark's response isn't, this is important, let's put it somewhere safe. Mark's response is immediately, put it on. <laughs> and yet in one episode, when Mark had to go do something dangerous, he hands the ring to the genie says, you better keep this. And I was, I don't know what I was thinking, but I was fully expecting, great, peace out. Good luck, Mark. <laughs> I'm gone. But no, the genie gives him back the ring when he's done. So uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the genie has issues. I think. The genie has issues. Mark's got issues. Everyone is having a weird time in here. Yes. Mark's got bigger issues. Yeah. Yeah. You want to go through the episodes so we can get to that? Yeah. Why don't you start us off on that? Okay. So we, we're kind of gone through episode one there, and episode one is just to set all this up. Yep. Set up the fact that it's going to be. Uh, here is the magician with all his knickknacks and his henchmen who are incompetent, of course. He flies in a crushed giant hat, Hadamaran, I believe was yes, the... Yes, the Hadamaran, which is a, his, um, his opera-style top hat turns into this shallow flying sled kind of thing, the Hadamaran. Yeah. Okay, moving beyond that. Uh, he goes around... Air raids the good guys every once in a while with magic. Right. He can, quote-unquote, zap people with the sparks of magic from his fingertips. And um, it, and he will get in the way of, the, of uh, Mark getting back to the real world. That's episode one. We've got that covered. Right. Yeah. Episode two is where we get introduced to the Sid and Marty Croft cinematic universe. <laughs> now it's not the second episode in the series, but it is the second we happen to watch. It was actually episode eight okay. chronologically, but the playlist we had wasn't in order. But by the time we'd started realizing that like partway through a, we hadn't been able to tell this wasn't supposed to come right after. And B, we were too bewildered at to what we were looking at to not finish this one. Yeah. We weren't really missing a lot of deep, major story arc ideas by skipping around a little bit in this series. Maybe we missed something. I don't know. Maybe it was like the good seasons of Lost. Who knows? So this one is the episode where Hoodoo decides to sign up for a dating service. Right. Which way are you swiping, Hoodoo? (laughs) Goodness. Now, we we do get a confirmation that, like, what he prefers... Uh, he, he he signed up to, to date a girl, so... Yeah, eh. great. And apparently his tastes run to, you know, 19, 1940s bombshell movie stars based on his descriptions and the pictures that he liked. Yeah, so he's, like, generic in that sense. But he winds up getting matched with someone immediately. 
And it took me being told and looking up who this other character was to know what was going on. He gets matched up from the uh, with the witch from H.R. Puffinstuff. That's right, Witchy Poo. H.R. Puffinstuff, the iconic Sid and Marty Croft TV series. So that means they exist in the same universe. Yep. And, and the ending where H.R. Puffinstuff shows up confirms that. That means that everything they made might be part of one universe. Absolutely. I think that that's, that's a given. And you think that uh, Infinity Wars was the tremendous crossover event? They haven't seen Witchy Poo and H.R. Puffin stuff show up in Lidsville. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out, like, I'm imagining this large, big-budget movie t- crossover of all of these characters coming together, and I still think nothing would happen. This is kind of the density yeah. of story we're talking about. <laughs> and to blow your mind a little bit more, the uh, the actor playing Witchy Poo also plays the genie. Oh, that's the same person. That yes. makes so much sense. I hadn't realized that. <laughs> Neither had I until I, I, I happened to come across it as we were setting this up. But um, yeah, I guess, you know, there's this ensemble that the, the Sid and, and Marty Croft brothers like to work with. Oh, yeah. And, she's uh, there, and my, they, the, the costume still fits. Um, so this episode eight, the second one that we watched, the the bad guy signs up for a dating app and gets distracted with his new girlfriend. Well, we we say dating app. This was back in the days when mail was mail. Yeah. So um, uh, he sends it off of a, via magic flying thing with a response time that is not mail like. True. Yeah. It's it's a paper application to the Lonely Hearts Club, and it's air mail. So he magic some wings onto his mailbox and the whole mailbox flies away it flies back with an answer meanwhile now that he's distracted with a girlfriend are good guys and i imagine air quotes no bigger put those around the good guys decide to steal his car that's our story and when it turns out that the bad guy air quotes again is too effective when teamed up with his girlfriend. That's when it goes wrong. Yeah, Hoodoo and the girl, he, the, the witch he was matched up with, don't get along until they join forces to perform violence against the <laughs> the the good guys. <laughs> the enemy of my enemy is who I'm dating. <laughs> <laughs> then Mark and his friends are doing the whole Gone in sixty seconds on uh, Hoodoo's ride. Yeah, and and they don't succeed. No. And then they realize they've got to break these two up. At which point, Mark having some... He got way too into character, I think. He he goes from zero to, I love this plan. Yeah, they decide that they need to introduce another woman to take Hoodoo away from the, the, the witch he was set up with by the dating service. And we can't let any of the female hats do it. He'd recognize them. So instead, you can't disguise a hat. So Mark dresses up as a, as a woman and uh, flirts with Hoodoo. With a, with a show with this little pacing, with, with this weird kind of, oh, we're here and we're doing this and we're here and we're doing this back and forth. There is no transition in there. It, I, I can get, if you give me a setup scene, I can deal with this. And I guess the thing is, this was the height of comedy for 1970 kids show was, Oh, let's have a boy dress up as girl and, and act girly and do that for 10 solid minutes. And that's, that's all we need as far as a script or humor. Cause that's funny in its own right. Well, no, not really, but no, it, it's just, it's, it's awkward on multiple levels. Yeah. It's, it's bad in, in the, in, in, in levels in terms of, we don't know enough about Mark to know what we're doing, what's right. going on here. It's bad in terms of the fact that there is only so much you can push this joke in terms of a misunderstanding joke. Right. Without it becoming not, not just forced, but unpleasant. Yeah. It, a lot of this stuff is, is pretty awkward to watch, pretty, pretty hard to watch from today's perspective. And putting this done that haphazardly in this LSD trip perpetual of a world <laughs> yes, just makes it an even starker contrast because you've already told physics 
to leave, to go out the door. Logic is no longer something you can guarantee applies. And now you're going to try to put this in here. I don't know what we're supposed to think, but I didn't think comedy. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't know what... Uh, and again, I remember liking this show when I was a kid. So either I ignored this or I just... Oh, gee, that's funny. He's dressing up as, as a girl. But I don't know. Yeah. Although it's perfectly in keeping with the storytelling in this show. Because when in doubt, when you need to move the plot forward, one of two things happens. The bad guys talk about making with the ultraviolence. Or the good guys try to appeal to the bad guy's libido. Yeah, actually, that happened. Yeah, you're right. That is the only two two modes. Confused. You know, one of the weird things was that Mark is absolutely the straight man. He's the one who's moving the plot forward by describing what's happening. And then the hats next to him make the jokes. Yes. So, so much of the series is Mark acting like a kid in a kid's TV show. So everything is kind of a question and it's very excitable. So he talks like this to all the hats that are around him. And then the hats make a joke and Mark says some more of that. And here we've got Mark doing comedy, which he usually doesn't in this show. I guess that's what really threw me. It's about Mark doing comedy and Mark not even doing comedy well. He is... Or maybe he's over-investing. He's right. getting his one shot, so he's pushing too hard. Yeah. But that's what I'm seeing here. Yep. And again, and it is it is consistent. We've got another one in which they need to distract a bunch of the bad hats, so a bunch of the female good hats go and flirt with them. Uh, it's, you know, love and violence. Those are the, the, the two main drives in the, in the, the world of Lidsville. Uh, Lidsville is dark. Yes. And, yeah. <sighs> in, ev- in in everything but color palette, Lidsville is dark. Yeah, it's not very dark in color palette. No. It, it does raise a lot of interesting questions. It raises questions like, in early 70s Southern California, was LSD just delivered to your house as a utility, <laughs> or was it just readily available? The, the funniest thing is that uh, reading a little bit to take a look at what episodes we were seeing in what order and such on the Wikipedia page for this, there is a sighting of a n- newspaper article, an interview with Sid and Marty Croft, where they directly describe, you can't, do, you can't make this stuff stoned. Yeah, they were they were insisting that they did not use any kind of drugs when making this. Uh, they were insisting that uh, they were not denying drug use elsewhere, but they said they never produced stuff stoned. Mm-hmm. So, so they kind of got that question a few times, you think? I think they got that question constantly. <laughs> and and uh, we we watched one more episode, but we summarized it there. It was violence is performed on the bad guy; he loses his m- memory. So his henchmen take the chance to take over power, at which point, at which point our heroes try to steal his car again. They distract the the bad hats with libido. Violence is enacted again when he gets hit by the car, and then he gets his memory back. That's our story again. Good guys try to steal a car, and violence and libido. That's the entire story. This Along was a, with a few little anecdotes in the middle about um, uh, British colonial campaigns against Native Africans. Uh, yeah. There's a little bit of that. Yeah, there of was course, that in there. Why wouldn't you in a kid's show? Uh, yeah. I mean, but I think as we go back in time for this podcast, we're going to see a lot more of that kind of thing. Just because, you know, what was considered funny, what was considered normal was different. But, man, that makes makes a lot of things hard to watch, especially these hats where you've got the, the chef's hat has the long, narrow mustache and talks with this horrible, stereotypical Asian accent. And you've got the, um, well, the, the British pith helmet talking all this, you know, like a imperial British colonel. Did we ever learn why the French beret lived in the apparent sewers? No. No, I'm not really sure about that. He'd, like, pop up Oscar the Grouch style, same color, and, like, make a suggestion and leave. And I think he did that twice? I think so. 
Isn't there a thing like the sewers under Paris are a big deal or something, or is it a? Uh, are we assuming we're saying that thing? he takes care of the catacombs under Lidsville? I guess, yeah. Why not? And then there's a. a and now I'm questioning what the skeletons of these creatures look like. And there's a uh, an American Indian hat. Who talks and looks like a stereotypical Native American, and oh. has a bow and arrow, but you can't actually shoot a bow and arrow in the puppy costume. So he, and right. when there's a fight, and he's just throwing arrows and eventually throwing the bow at the bad guys. So they didn't necessarily the costumers and the props department didn't necessarily talk to one another. But oh. it's just it's so much of it is awful. Oh, let's 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 not forget the one of the hats that gets the most speaking lines. Which is the biker helmet grandma, who is always flirting with everyone? Yes, the flirty biker helmet granny is there, yes. <sighs> Calling everybody honey. And not just in a passing way, just, like, hold the, hold the, uh, the vowels on that word. Honey. Like, every time. Yes. And here she comes, partners. Meet Mother Wheels. Hiya! Put a chopper in your hopper, honey. <laughs> oh, just to, just to close all of all of the summary of the type of story we're dealing with out. I looked at what the the summary of the final episode is, and it had a single sentence at the end. For the very final episode of the show, Mark does not get out of the hat. So Mark never escapes Lidsville. Mark never escapes Lidsville. But do he and the hats like gather in a, a multi-denominational church and walk out into the void or something? No, no, no. no. Do they, do, it turns out they're in a snow globe. There is apparently no conclusion. It just acts like any other episode. So according to time frame, Mark has been now trapped in Lidsville for 48 years. I'd like to bring all of your attention, listeners, to the fact that no one has heard from Mark since he went into Six Flags Over Texas that day. This podcast is in memory of him. If he ever escapes, we don't know what state his mind will be in, but we'll be there for him. So be on the, be on the lookout. Yeah. If a man in a too small orange shirt ever like wanders out from that park be prepared for that and then ask him what in the world was going on because we've watched episodes we still don't know what is this thing <laughs> what is this thing yeah there's the basic question of why does the magician in the amusement park have a hat that is literally real magic and is also a portal into another world uh, oh, is this how magic works? It, it, and it's not just it's not just a town and a small outskirts. They were describing a shampoo river, a hair forest, a bald mountain, Chernabog, I assume not included. They were f describing a full terrain, a full environment, the square footage of livable space within this hat is really really undefined. And whether or not you consider them have tentacle, technicolor, tentacolor, livable. So do you think they had some giant saga planned for this? And they thought, well, by the time we get to the seventh season, then we will have established the structure of the, the civilization uh, in, within the, the greater Lidsville uh, <laughs> continent. And I don't think so. You know, they weren't setting up like a Game of Thrones as the opening starts, gears turning on a little map, top hats rising from the board. There was talk. I mean, there was talk of um, the head wizard, whoever Hoodoo, like either is subservient to or reports to. Well, his title was the Imperial Wizard. Oh, There's another organization that has higher ups with the title of Imperial Wizard. Was this like a whole Ku Klux Klan thing? Is this a... Or I think more likely uh, Sid and Marty Croft just used whatever words and names sounded cool and didn't really think about anything they were saying. So, but looking at this, I'm saying, wait a minute, what did he say? Imperial Wizard? Well, well, yeah. Is... There's plenty of... Wait, what did he just say a, all over this show? Yeah. But. 
Like, really? And speaking of hoodoo, though, that's talk just... about a better evil hat for an example. Oh gosh, yeah, they they we didn't see it. Glad. A oh my like, goodness. Just, I mean, they they practically could have thrown that in, and it would have been in keeping with the rest of it, but they didn't. Yeah, fortunately, fortunately. But in terms of the bad guy, the hoodoo, the magician, it was played by Charles Nelson Riley. And again, as I've said before, there's something I admire in somebody who takes this bizarre role and just goes with it. Just does not let up. Oh yeah. Is totally invested, and he's. I, I'm never going to fault an actor for taking a job in that in in, in a kids show or something because it's a tough business. And uh, but I really admire somebody who does that and then just does not let up, invests in it. And Charles Nelson Riley, I don't know if he was having fun, but he was not holding back when he was chewing the scenery as hoodoo. Every, all the other actors, nothing. They, they they did a fine job with what they were given. Uh, in costume or out of costume. And they 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 put in the effort, but it wouldn't have been able to be even as watchable as it was without Charles Nelson Riley putting in so much energy and effort to keep this watchable. Yes, and I like Charles Nelson Riley and most oh, of the stuff absolutely. I've seen him in. Uh my favorite X Files and my favorite uh X Files spinoff Millennium, where he's playing uh, reporter, uh, nonfiction writer Jose Chung. I just love those. So, oh yeah, going back to see Charles Nelson Riley in this, and kind of having this vague recollection of it, and then seeing it again. Uh, that's one thing about watching Lidsville that I enjoyed was getting to see him just go nuts. Oh, absolutely. He he was the thing that made this something I could watch three episodes of because it it was fun to watch him. But then then the camera would move away and. And the existential terror would return, and I wouldn't know what to do. Well, we've got uh, we've got fourteen more episodes for you to watch. <gasps> <laughs> now, I think that we might have some other things to watch before we get to those. I think so. In general, it's been interesting watching this because I remembered the less about it than of anything else we've watched in the podcast. So I really was coming to this brand new with only this vague recollection of having watched it and having enjoyed it. And there are things as I watched it, memories came to me <laughs> and I realized how wrong these memories were repressed memories, yeah, repressed of memories yeah. of, of alien abductions, I think. But for one thing, I remember the music being so cool in this show and in my memory, Thinking about watching this as a six-year-old, they were these big orchestral productions of these wonderfully catchy melodies, and I, and no, it's kind of a studio band or a guy with a synth and popping away on this stuff. Although, I got to return to the opening song. That is that is impressive in how much story they pack into that, and it's got the really really cool line that darkness held its breath. That's poetry. uh, now I'm imagining Lidsville as metal cover album. <laughs> a, metal, metal, a metal cover of the Lidsville theme? I would so get that. That you could work. Also, the Lidsville opening, they cut, packed more story into that than they do some of the episodes. True. Yeah. It could have it, stopped with that. And it has the weirdest drop ever. Because it builds up this like dramatic operatic story of him going to Cal this you know six flags over texas and failing i keep on calling them out i i, I well somebody has to hold them accountable right? someone has to hold them accountable i'm glad that they no longer control the illich gardens near me um <laughs> i think a bunch of the other sid and marty croft stuff was filmed in or around six flags i think they had a connection with them i think they way. had a connection with them it seems familiar but the fact that you know they go through all of this it's this building drama and then finally he like is crashing down he He's bewildered. He he cannot believe his ears or eyes. And then it it just immediately switches tune to this from this increasingly dramatic buildup. This is the sort of thing I expect to see in a like a a troll video online with the amount of tonal whiplash you get. Falling, falling into the heady belt, spinning, turning, whirling, twirling, down, down, 
kind of rickrolled from this deep dark story into the the, the poppy bizarre kids tune from Lidsville. Yeah, it, it it actually is like like he is uncertain of what's going on and he's confused and something in, incredible's happen and the drugs tri- kick in. It's it's right there. It's happy, it's bright. Lidsville like oh. uh, also also synchronized dancing, but synchronized dancing limited to what the costumes can do. So if you look at the costumes, they're obviously all dancing together. If you look right above the logo to where the genie and Mark are dancing, you realize how these moves are like absolutely nothing because these are the only people in that soundstage unrestricted by layers of foam and felt. Yeah, there's not a lot to synchronize when you can only move like two knuckles on each hand (laughs) and your toes and waddle about. But, they, uh, but they, they, they they worked with what they could. They worked with what they could there. And we also see some dancing among uh, hoodoos, hench people, hench hats, hench creatures when uh, when he's away. And it's the same kind of thing. There's not a lot. Although there's more in the, the giant top hat where, uh, where hoodoo lives because it's also kind of the shop and storage area for a magician so there's a woman sawed in half and there's a uh, uh, wait, disembodied uh, uh, skull the woman sawed in half the two parts seem to act independently yes as so independent the- entities which is accurate to the way the trick works but awkward to the way the forming and like casting works i think <laughs> Because that means you've got a box with a pair of legs running around making separate comments from an immobile head and arms on a box. And, uh, and one, of, one of Hoodoo's more ambulatory hench people is not a hat, but is a rabbit in a little red vest and a fez called Raunchy Rabbit. Yeah, yeah, Again, the- I think they just used whatever word they thought sounded good or they liked alliteration, didn't think about what anything means. Oh my goodness. That, that, that's a character for you. Yes. Uh, we come back to the same thing again. Yes, same oh, themes. And, and and his other care, his other hench person who is ambulatory, is a playing card. Oh, I forgot about the playing a card. A king of hearts. It was a jack, I think. It had it had swords though. Yeah, or maybe it was the jack. Yeah, not a suicide jack, but it was a jack, a vertical sword. Yeah, but. It, it it's constantly holding a sword. So we've got Raunchy Rabbit and a a card constantly armed with a bladed weapon. We're back to the themes of Lidsville. But the only violence we actually see happen, as much as there's talk about whacking people by the uh, by the the mobster hat or chopping people's heads off, and there's a little bit of talk of torture at one point. The only violence we see is zapping by the magician, throwing sparks around. Throwing fruits and vegetables, and I think that's about it. One concussion with oversized eight ball. Oh, that's right. And 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 one instance of uh, vehicular endangerment. That's right. That's how the uh, the amnesia comes and goes for uh, for hoodoo. And one of the, I guess you call it violence. One of the things he he starts to attempt against the peaceful citizens of Lidsville is that hoodoo conjures the weather bureau. Which is a, that's a good joke. That was the best joke in the entire show. Of course, it's like, you know, a chest of drawers, and each drawer is labeled with a different, uh, with a different kind of foul weather, and it's the Weather Bureau. Yeah, I'm the dad on this podcast, so I've got to really do that joke when I can, when I see them. Why did, why did the rabbit open snow instead of opening lightning? There was an entire drawer there full of multi multiple multiple lightning strikes in a in a world made purely of felt. I think it's because fake snow is cheaper than <laughs> fake lightning for a Saturday morning TV show. Also, the the worst thing he could think of doing to the city made of hats is bad weather. What do hats fear the most? Uh, say, that's a good question. Uh, wish I had a good answer. <laughs> They fear bad weather. That's what they fear. Ooh, you mean like rain? Snow? Wind? Sleet? <laughs> you betcha bowler. It scares the felt right off them. The hats are afraid of bad weather? 
Isn't if, that what they're supposed to yeah, defend against? If your hats have a problem with bad weather, you really need to get a better hat. Or be a better hat. Be the best hat you can be. The, the ending theme implies that they live inside their hats. Are they actually the hats, or are they a being that is, like, hermit crab style, living within large hats naturally formed within the environment? Or is the hat an exoskeleton to a creature, and it grows to look like a hat? Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so they're living inside the husks of their giant ancestors? Wow. This is getting, this is starting to get pretty Game of Thrones again. We keep or, going or, back or here. Rings. Well, this if, the magic ring, I think maybe by season four, if they had gotten to keep, keep making this, Mark would have had to carry the genie's magic ring to Mount Doom or something. <laughs> this could be an epic fantasy that we never master, got to hear. Please don't. I've got to. Somewhere around season two, my voice dropped. And ever since then, this world's been bleaker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it raises the uh, the gingerbread man question. Uh <laughs> <laughs> is you know is a gingerbread man in a gingerbread house? If it was a cartoon you showed yeah. me. I think is the is the house made of flesh? Is the man made of house? What's it, it with these it these hats know, living inside of bigger scream. hats? Yes. <laughs> oh goodness. Uh, I, I, but yeah, if the hats are afraid of weather, you have a problem. Right. But. This show overall, I mean, I've got a, I've got one thing uh, written down here as a quote from the Bad Hats, which was, "We messed up again. Better tell the boss; he'll kill us for sure." Uh, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You're attempting if... to escape this in a very different way than Mark <laughs> is. Yeah, have you thought about not telling the boss if? He will kill you for sure. What's the worst could happen if you don't tell the boss? Yeah. I continue to live in this environment. Uh, yes. It's better that we tell the boss. <laughs> this you, is a Lidsville, straight line. Lidsville is brightly colored and very dark. Exactly. I, I, uh, <laughs> we watched a little bit of this. The more I think about it. This is a show built entirely on fridge horror, as as uh, TV tropes would call it. That that feeling of after the episode is over, you go get a snack, and staring into the light of the refrigerator, you realize just what you've witnessed in terms of how horrifying it is. And somehow this show is nothing but infinite fridge horror all the way down. The more you try to make sense of Lidsville... The more terrifying implications arise. If Mark had, even if the genie was incompetent, the genie was able to move themselves inside the ring. Does that mean that they could, that the genie could move other things within the ring? Does that mean that the ring was another environment as large as Lidsville is with inside the hat, which was that large within our world? You just totally blew my mind. So you're saying that there's like a, a, a there, there's a Ringsville, which is a whole world inside the magic ring, and that's where the genie comes from. And, and, and imagine a world where everyone is a ring. The genie would, wow. of course, try to go up a level to Lidsville, and then realize that Lidsville is still horrifying and wants to leave with Mark to a layer above that. So what are we inside? That's what I was talking about. This is what we're getting to. Who is the architect? Um. How many layers down are we? Oh my gosh. I need to lie down. I can't deal with this. I never I think... thought about the ring. It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> well. I'm terrified now. I'm wondering what what kind of accessory I am inside. The entirety of our existence has lived in nothing but a corsage. Given <laughs> to one girl at the prom that will be discarded by the end of the night. And within that brief period of time in her world, civilizations rise and fall within ours. Exactly. That's actually now I'm even more uncertain. Do we know that time moves at the same rate? No, we don't. He's been there. He's been trapped in there forty-eight years in our time. How long has it been for Mark? So if he does ever escape, he could pop out of the hat 
as plucky teenager Mark, whatever his name is, and suddenly it's the 21st century and he's the world has gone by. Or, or is it faster? Is it inception logic? Oh. Inside Lidsville, time is moving quicker, which means that Mark's entire lifespan will have ended. If so he, he finds- pops out of the hat a second later as a 70-year-old man. Yeah. This, we, the, his, if he could find something that he is genetically compatible with, let's not even try to step there. The his- show would go there if he gave it time. It would, and now I'm more terrified again. His descendants, with tales of their great ancestor who fell from the world above, and they've finally finished the pilgrimage to return, could come streaming from the hat as refugees, as an invading army? We should... We should probably get to final questions before we try to think about this further, Dad. I think so. Okay. Well, our final questions, they always begin with, first question is, binge or no binge? Now that we have endured this or subjected ourselves to this or enjoyed this, whatever the case may be, are we going to recommend that you, our listener, find this and binge it or do not? Binge or no binge? What do you think, Ian? No! No! Save yourself! Do not binge this! We got a lot of of interesting philosophical thought out of this. You want to deprive our listeners of that? Uh, I'll I'll take that as a yes. The the stark catatonic terror that I'm seeing on Ian's face is telling me it's not worth it. I I am never going to be able to... I'm never going to be able to reclaim the part of my mind spinning in the background like a top, trying to figure out the laws, the logic, the the implications of this world it has established. Because the more I do, the more it eats away at me. So I think that's a no binge. No binge. Ian, I think that's a drive a stake through its heart. (laughs) Um, And I've got to have to agree with that. Unless... No, I can't even think of it unless. Just don't. <laughs> just don't watch this. If you need to, you're going to ignore my suggestions. So I'm just going to say, don't watch this. We did it so you don't have to. So that's our answers for the binge or no binge. There are better... I haven't even watched the other Croft things. And the descriptions, I think there's other Croft stuff. If you need to see something, sit and Marty Croft. It sounds like there are better examples of what that craft was. As a person who likes and and enjoys merchandising and production and the potential things have, there are better examples of what these two did. And as a person who enjoys stories, no. No, yeah, this, don't, don't binge this. No binge. No binge. So that leaves our second question, which is, what should be done with this from here, if anything? Revive is, let's pick up the story and start telling it again, uh, either with the same characters and same actors and such, like the X-Files uh, revival or a next generation kind of revival, like like some TV shows that we don't talk about have. Then there is Reboot. Let's Take this and do it again. Have a new vision for it, like the new Battlestar Galactica kind of reboot. And then there is rest in peace. Let's just let this be whatever it was and not try to do anything more with it. So what do you think, Ian? Lidsville, revive uh, revive reboot or rest in peace? Rest in peace. Let it die. Let the fires consume it and let it die. Are you sure? Because there's a lot of potential here. We talked about, there's magic rings and there's giant kingdoms. There's the potential for multiple parallel universes nested within one another, embodied in costume accessories. (laughs) I mean, I know Westworld kind of lost something when it got into season two, but HBO could do something with this. (laughs) Give this to the right producer and writer. I don't know if anyone can properly get dark enough to dare reboot this. You can't do another kids reboot. Can you get dark enough to make this work? Yeah. I I don't, I do not, I think you'd overstep what like 
HBO or even a you don't have to worry about the the network or broadcast regulations streaming service. I don't think they would put money behind going dark enough. I don't think we can. And that is not a we shouldn't. That's a I don't think we as humans can fathom how dark this would have to go. So it's, it's this is just Woodsville is just way too dark for HBO. It's like, OK, fine. We did True Detective. OK, we did Westworld. But Lidsville, come on. Yeah, yeah, no a line somewhere. You've got to draw the line. You've got to draw the line with bias tape here in the sand. Do not go beyond it. Um, yeah, I think I've got to uh, to agree. Rest in peace. There's no the fact that there are things that one could do with this doesn't mean that one should. Yes. <laughs> Your scientists thought so long about if they could. They never thought as if they should. Yeah. This is a Jurassic Park scenario. Yes. So, yeah, I think it's got to be rest in peace. Lidsville exists. It'll never entirely go away. We'll never never entirely get over having watched it. Yeah. But we are not going to suggest that anybody else watch it. We're not going to suggest that anybody try to make anything new with it. Oh, my goodness. Apparently, the Crofts are doing a bunch of animated other shows for, like, Nickelodeon. They've gone a little younger with their audience, but they're now doing – they're still doing things. So I had no idea they were still, to be honest, I had no idea they were still alive, let alone still active. Apparently, wow. maybe it, that's what I was reading on their Wikipedia. Maybe it's just their production company still doing yeah. stuff. But some of their other things have gotten kind of small re- reboots and revivals. So, uh, so the danger is not nil. Yes. Okay. Now I, now I got to live with that thought in the back of my head. Yes, yeah, yeah. No matter what we say, somebody might open that box, that hat box, that Pandora's hat box. Well, well, we can always hope, hope that our warnings are heeded. <laughs> and in the meantime, I want to say thank you to everybody for listening to another Intermillennium Media Project podcast. Uh, this was fun, terrifying, and weird, but fun. And so, thank you for listening. <gasps> We'll be back in about two weeks with another episode. In the meantime, if you want to reach the show, you can uh, find the show on Twitter at IMMPcast. You can also just go to IMMproject.com, and that'll bring you to the the show's website with all of our other episodes and other information. You can – where can people reach you online, Ian? I am most places at at itemcrafting or itemcrafting live on uh, Twitch now. I might start doing projects there, so... And item crafting on YouTube and on Twitter. Great. And you can reach me uh, at by Matthew Porter on Twitter. You can reach me... Um, well, best thing to do is just go to MatthewFPorter.com, and that'll link you to anything else I'm doing uh, at any given time. All right. Well, um, uh, that's all then. And don't forget, go find something new to watch. But not Litzville.